Welcome to the Habits and Hustle podcast, a podcast that uncovers the rituals, unspoken habits, and mindsets of extraordinary people. A podcast powered by Habit Nest. Now here's your host, Jennifer Cohen. Chris, you have no idea how excited I am to be sitting with you right now. Uh, you need you need to have higher aspirations. I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you, first of all, I, I'm, I guess I'm using my like happy smiley personality with you because I got to say, this is one of, the, one of the only books that not only did I listen to it on Audible, but I actually read it twice because there was like so much information. You can't, there's no, it's impossible just to like listen to it one time or like read it once because it's like, there's so much that you could apply to like practical, your practical personal life, your, pro, your professional life obviously your hostage life. So I'm, I loved it. Just wanted to let you know. Thank you very much. It's really kind of you to say. It's much appreciated. No, it's true. And I also didn't realize until after um, I heard you in different interviews that that wasn't your voice on the audible, uh, on the book, on the listening one, because I was like, I thought, I'm like, wow, no wonder he was such a great hostage negotiator. His voice was like, like beautiful and perfect. Yeah, I had a good voice. We had a, we had a good guy do the, uh, do, do the audible. Oh my God, he was amazing, amazing. But anyway, um, welcome to Habits and Hustle. I, that was kind of like not even my intro. That was just, I saw you and I was just so excited. I just had to tell you that. Thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, like I just finished like rambling on to you. There's like literally so many different things that I wanted to ask you about. And I don't even know where to start. I guess maybe the beginning, I guess. I just, you know, from from what I just... What, there's so many different like concepts in it, but one thing that I found very interesting was that you would. It's kind of like being a hostage negotiator is kind of like being like an amazing like psycho like psychotherapist or psychologist because it literally is like emotional intelligence on steroids. Thank you very much. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah, and I want to know from you. I mean, is that is that? Do you think that everybody is able to? learn those techniques or does some of it have to be innate in somebody no you know I'm, I'm very much a subscriber to sort of the daniel Coyle school of thought on this he wrote a book called the talent code which is we were all born with this stuff Coyle would contend that there's no such thing as a prodigy it's just that people got that ten thousand hours in sooner than other people realized right and, you know you put in your time you enjoy it you, you um you give it your focus and your enjoyment is a critical Enjoyment is a learning hack, actually. But yeah, anybody can do it. Anybody, anybody's got this in them. Yeah. So were you born with it? Yeah, everybody was born with it. Well, to some, I mean, listen, like there was a couple things. I mean, you were a couple things. Number one, you said initially that it sounds to me that you have to be a very good listener or you can learn, I guess, how to listen better. But the voice, I mean, if you don't have... Like the, the t you know, like you talk about having the voice is so mo much more important than the words. And when you talk to somebody, is a tonality in how you speak. You talk about the DJ, you know, the nightly DJ voice and all that late stuff. Night the late DJ voice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then what were the other voices that you talk about too? Well, you know, the, the natural sort of default voices, uh, you know, the analyst voice, the late night FM DJ. Analyst is a little cold. And with your late night FM DJ, you don't want it to be cold. You know, you want there to be some warmth in there. But the other two, the assertive, you know, the assertive is just direct and honest. Like, I'm going to tell you what I want just because it's 
it's quickest. I'm just let me just tell you what I want. Um, if you think of yourself as a direct and honest person, you know what you are is blunt force trauma. My natural type is assertive, direct and honest. And you know, I once had a hostage negotiator, a very talented hostage negotiator, when I was being myself, say to me, dealing with you is like getting hit in the face with a brick. <laughs> you know, your assertive voice kind of tough. And then there's the accommodator's voices, the smiling voice, the voice that's happy to see you and is just friendly. And they smile and you smile back. And, you know, there's a tactical advantage to each one of these. And the accommodator's voice is you're smarter in a positive frame of mind. You're 31% smarter, as a matter of fact. And, and so if you use that voice, you're both smarter. So there's an advantage to that. My, my daughter-in-law, chief of marketing in my company, she's a natural-born analyst. I mean, like in an analyst, deep down inside, they are analytical, as one might imagine, you know, and they are like, they are assassins. I mean, they will, you know, death waits in the dark. They'll shoot you from a thousand yards away. You never know what hits you. But she is very smart and learned how much better she could do by seeming bubbly and happy. And you talk to her and she laughs and she giggles and she's one of the most pleasant people you ever met. <laughs> got spectacular deals by just smiling and laughing. So there's tactical advantages to each one. But what I find in like this is the thing, right? With all with, with everything that we're going to talk about today, you know, about you know how to about listening, about labeling, mirroring, mirroring, whatever. It's also the thing that I found, you know, it's it's knowing when to use which tactic, right? Like these are all tactics that you're going to be using for negotiating. Yep. And you have to have enough, you have to know when to use what or else it becomes, it, it, it becomes kind of, it's irrelevant. You know, I was watching what I found very interesting. I was watching more than just a bunch of interviews I saw that you were doing. I was watching a lot of your interview, the interviews or the presentations that you were doing with companies a lot of the time right. and watching other people try to perform a lot of the different tactics that you talk about in your book, Never Split the Difference. And it came off like awkward, right? Because they don't have the same practice apparently, obviously, as you. But I was thinking to myself, like, I don't know if I was the hot, if like, if I was the person that was the terrorist and I was listening to this bozo say certain things, I would, I would not, like, I wouldn't listen. You know, that's what I was thinking. Like, you have to have know when and how to do it. Yeah, and there's only one way to find out with practice. You know, when we, we tell people all the time, I tell people, small stakes practice for high stakes results. You right. know, you, you can get your small stakes practice every day opportunities. Like I took my, I took my, I still have, you know, the Salsa Red Pearl Toyota 4Runner from, you know, that's, I talked yeah, about that in the book. In the book, yeah. You know, I took that in for service today. So, you know, I, I got to, I got to use little, Practice. I still need my practice. I get some practice in with the service guy at Toyota. I got a little bit of practice in with the the Lyft driver. You know, <laughs> back. you know, these guys think I'm friendly. I'm practicing. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. You're practicing, right? So, I guess let's talk about um, let, let's talk about like the tactics in general because you kind of go through a lot of them, um, and you say that empathy is extremely important. That's a big concept in your book. Having having empathy is a really important thing to have when you're negotiating, even no matter if it's a hostage or you know a real life situation. Can you talk about why empathy is so important in a negotiation and 
the benefits of having it, of using it versus or having it? Yeah, using it. Yeah, let's talk about using it. Um, you know, because if you if you get into the discussion of having it, you get into a convoluted discussion. It just really doesn't do any good because em- empathy has become conflated with sympathy or compassion in today's vernacular and mm-hmm. today's conversation. Sure. And it is not. It is not. I mean, the reason that I first started, you know, I took our skills as an FBI hostage negotiator, started to collaborate with Harvard, was because a really smart guy named Bob Manukin wrote a book called Beyond Winning. Bob was, and I think still is, in charge of the program on negotiation. Um, and in his book about negotiation, he says, empathy is not sympathy, it's not compassion, it's not even liking or agreeing. It's just identifying where the other side is coming from. And I read that and I thought, wow, this is cool. Harvard and the FBI are on the exact same sheet of music on empathy. It's not sympathy. It's not compassion. Because if you take it out of that definition, then you can use it on anybody, period. It's not, it's, it then becomes an unlimited skill. Mm-hmm. I have to have sympathy for you to have empathy. Now I got my hands tied behind my back. And as an FBI hostage negotiator, by definition, I'm probably not going to have sympathy for the person I'm talking to. I'm not right. worried. You know, if, if, those were, if those were the preconditions, who's a hostage negotiator going to be able to talk to? Because they're never going to be a hostage negotiator on the other end of the phone. We need an unlimited skill that works with everybody. And so, ha- go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, please. I was, I was just going to say that, like, how do you find, I mean, it, it must be something, again, that takes a lot of practice to find something that you could be empathetic about when a guy is a terrorist and you're trying to negotiate. Oh, all right. So where's the terrorist coming from? I, you, I'll, 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 you could be empathetic to a terrorist right now. Um, what's their emotional state? Probably uh, angry. There you um, go. Angry. So now you got empathy for a terrorist. They're angry. That's empathy. I- that's a demonstration of understanding of where the other side's coming from. Period. Okay. So then let me, when would you take that emotion, which is anger? And then you talk a lot in the, in the book about labeling an emotion that you're, that you see, right? So you say, I feel, I, I see, or I sense that you have anger. Let's say I, you were the, the right, and now terrorist. We're cut it down a little bit. We're going to wordsmith that a little bit. Okay. Um, because. Every word has an impact. Now, I is a centering word. Um, and if I say, I sent you of anger, then you're focused a little bit more on yourself in that conversation. Right. If I say, you sound angry. Now I'm much more focused on them. It's more disarming to them for me to focus on them as opposed to me in that context. Right. So I'm going to go with the second. I'm not going to say I sent you of anger. I'm going to say sound angry. Those are two. Those will hit the brain in two different ways. In this context, I'm going to want to go with the second. Now, if I've made them angry, or from their perspective is that I personally have made them angry, then I'm going to do another adjustment. I'm going to say I've made you angry. And now that's going to have another impact because what's the other side's perception? That I made him angry, that I'm accountable, that I'm responsible. And that's where it becomes really tricky because nothing about empathy in anybody's definition says that another side's perspective is either accurate or fair. 
by definition, if they're human, it's going to contain inaccuracies. And I, I and some people say, well, I can't, I didn't make you angry, so I'm not going to say I made you angry. Well, you're not admitting you made him angry. You know, like, uh, God help me, I'm getting ready to wade into some of the white privilege conversations that are taking book on face, taking place on Facebook right now. Mm-hmm. And somebody that uh, thinks that white privilege is a scam, you know, it's an insult. It's patently insulting. It's incredibly insulting. I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna say to him, you know, you feel this is an incredible insult. That's not me agreeing. That's me demonstrating empathy, or, or, acno- or acknowledging what they're feeling. Now you're getting to it, right? You can acknowledge. It's acknowledgement. Yeah. But what you could a lot of times what can happen is if you say I feel or I sense that you're getting angry, the other person can also get their back up and be like, don't tell me what you, you know, what I am. Okay. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. Literally, literally. That's happened to me one time in 10,000. Only once. Yeah. Wow. So, and, and here's what people do when they start getting concerned about communication skill that might blow up on. Mm-hmm. No one has a communication skill that works all the time. Every word out of your mouth might blow up on you. So, well, I can see how that could go bad. That's in no way, shape, or form ever a legitimate reason to not try anything. Because for you to use that as, for anybody to use that as an argument is to say, well, you got something that works all the time and you don't. Mm. So what, what, what kind of world do we live in? We don't live in a world of perfection, even though I live in Vegas. I've been using this analogy forever. We live in a Las Vegas world. Once you start batting better than 51%, there are beautiful, gorgeous buildings built in Vegas that sustain the Steve Wins of the world who are billionaires based on a 51% effectiveness rate. Now, by and large, our skills run, depending upon the context, like what, one in 10,000 that went bad. That's a high effectiveness rate. Now, here's what happened and the purpose for the structure of the statement. I once said to an FBI agent in training, you sound angry. And he looked at me and he screamed, I'm not angry! (laughs) It was the one time it backfired. What did I do? I got an automatic fallback position. Every word that I used was pre-selected and I already know my fallback position. I said, I didn't say you were angry. I said, you sound angry. Right. It was inarguably true. And it stopped him dead in his tracks. And he stopped yelling and he looked down. And he looked back up. I mean, he complied with what I was trying to get him to do. And he walked away without saying another word. Walked up to me the next day with a short speech about how he felt I had such insight into his personal history based on two sentences. You sound angry. And so you were angry. I said, you sound angry. And you know what? It's interesting because you, I feel like the language that you use would be very important, right? Because... That's a, that you're, you're choosing to use the word you sound versus I think or whatever it is. Right. right. Yet, you know, and even in your book, you talk about this. The words that you use is not that important. It's way more important, the tone of your voice. So you can, 
it sounds to me you can say anything you want if your tone is is the right if you pick and choose the right tone well you get you get a lot of latitude i mean you know the brit's got a great great saying you can be as rude as you want as long as you're polite about it you know? right <laughs> exactly exactly they're talking about tone of voice and my colleagues you know all of us that were team leaders like if a person's got a great tone of voice i'll put them on the phone you know, they mm-hmm. can just darn near get away with anything with a great tone of voice. I mean, your latitude for saying the wrong thing is massive. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to want the teacher to say the right thing. You know, and it's, and it's a, a little bit of the whole debate over the 738-55 ratio of content to tone of voice to body language. Right. You know, the, even, even, even if, because 738-55 equals 100 to 3 together is the entirety of the message. I, I get no shortage of people saying like, well, you know, 7%, that makes words seem irrelevant. Like, you can't say that. It's worth way more than 7 And I'll say, all right, put a number on it. Well, I, I can't put a number on it. It's way more than 7 And so I'll say, all right, try this on for size. If I say to you, that was an insightful comment. I said it, and, and that was a compliment. I'll take the same words. That was an insightful comment. That was an insult. I didn't change the words at all. I just changed my tone of voice. I made the words 0% important. Right. So, the you know, people get bent out of shape over the 7%. It's like a DNA chain or a molecule. Can you say H2O, the molecule for water? Mm-hmm. Can you say that hydrogen is twice as important as oxygen? Well, you take oxygen out. You haven't got water any longer. Right. So people get really bent out of shape over the importance of the words. And it's, a, it's about alignment. And it's about what gives you the most latitude. And tone of voice gives you way more latitude than, than the words themselves do. Way more latitude. And then the other, and then like, let's go, let's talk about the listening piece because, you know, when I saw, I mean, when you see in the movies, right? And you talk, and you talk, even in the book, you talk about this. You have 20 people on a call. You have like, you know, they're now, is that, is that what you just see? I mean, is that kind of inflated? Like, do, do you really have that many people in, on a call at, at any given time when you're dealing with the hostage situation or a terrorist or okay, a situation or business situation? If you give me seven people, I'll put them all in the same room. We'll, you know, we'll go on a call and everybody will have a different job and everybody will pick up something in that conversation that the other people didn't hear. Okay. That, and I understand that, right? Because I know active listening is not, is not as easy. I mean, it, you have to, you got to focus and be, you know, honed in on something and, you know, knowing, yes. like, for example, me, I would like lose my, my attention in like, in like 10 seconds, but I'm saying, and that's what, and actually, a lot of people do. It's very hard to listen actively for a long period of time. But With, what, without practice, it's hard. Without practice, but all of this, everything you talk about in in your book or in general is practice. Like you said yourself, you don't have to have innate the innate talent. You can. It's a talent that can be honed in with practice. Anything, all these things, all these tactics. And I'm going to interrupt your thought chain for just a second. So please remember where you were going with that, because I want to make a, a comment on practice. Okay. Yeah, it takes a lot of practice for excellence. However, your biggest gains will be initial. Mm. 
So as soon as you get some practice in, you're going to make some massive jumps right away. You're going to need additional practice for two reasons, because to continue to get better, because without the practice, deterioration Mm -hmm. starts in immediately. It's like running. Like you you don't work yourself in the condition and you're like, all right, so I'm in shape now. I don't got to run anymore. No, you got to do maintenance. Consistency is what I think you need. A lot to that. Consistency is very important. Yeah. Right. So practice and consistency. And what I was going to say is like, you know, like I said, I've never been in one of your situations and I've never been around you when you've been negotiating with the hostage, but with the FBI, although I would like to, do they ever take people so I can, you know, just, you know, people who are just curious to kind of go along and, and listen in as well. I think it'd be fascinating. Do we, do we have ride-alongs? Is that, is it? Do yeah, do you have ride-alongs? Yeah. Do you have ride-alongs? Now you got, well, you got to have reason to be in a room professional. You know, you got, we have to be able to articulate why you would be a value add. You probably, you know, We've had non-law enforcement in the room, but they're usually either therapists or psychologists, uh, something along those lines. Somebody that we, how we could articulate that it's a value Oh, okay. So just being a curious, you know, regular person doesn't really, doesn't really like hold any kind of mustard over there. No, no right <laughs> allowed on those. Uh, okay. Well, this is what I was going to say. Like in the movies, from what all I can see is that, you know, you don't have time to sit there and like kind of like do a huddle and be like, okay, tell me everything. Like, give me your spreadsheet of why this is, you know, what you heard and give me a, a you know, an Excel uh, spreadsheet over there, you know, uh, listener number two. Things are happening super quickly that how do you know what the other person is even doing and thinking? Like, don't you have to kind of, it, do you have like a period where you guys can huddle or are people just like taking notes and texting people on the regular to kind of get the information? around well you're gonna you're gonna want to get your huddles in but um there are some people who are taking notes on large pieces of paper that are on the walls so you can you know the person who's talking on the phone can look around and see see the notes in specific categories but it's distracting like don't you have to be focused like if i had to keep on looking over there to see a note that joe blow was writing i would lose my focus on what the terrorist was saying to get back to his the place where he trusts me and I feel, and he thinks that I'm listening and that I'm empathetic and that I'm, you know, paying attention. Like, don't you get distracted when all these other people are chiming in? Well, the, de- the degree of distraction starts with how your primary sense is hardwired. Um, and just to give you a real short, down and dirty brief, about 60% of the world, uh, their primary sense is their vision, about 30% is their hearing. And 10% is touch, taste, smell, feel. Um, so for me, sounds are the biggest distraction because that's what hit my, hits my brain first. My, my primary sense is my hearing. I can have all sorts of chaos visually and it's not going to break my train of thought. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's on the phone, if, if their primary sense is their vision, now all the things that you were just talking about are distractions. And that requires some training to overcome. So it starts with how you're wired. And then after that, it's, again, it's, it's practice. It's any skill. And how, like, what was the longest negotiation that you've been involved with? Well, kidnappings with terrorists tend to run longer lengths of time. Um, uh, you know, the kidnapping in Colombia where three Americans um, were grabbed 
They were held for six years. There were hostages that were intermingled with them that were held for longer. Ingrid Betancourt was with them. She was in there, I think, seven years. Um, there was uh, uh, Bob. Uh, there's been an American retired FBI agent that they're pretty sure is dead now that was held in or by Iran for Bob Levinson. Mm-hmm. He was there for his kidnapping started while I was, they grabbed him when I was still in a bureau about 2002 or so. And I think they, he was, he 15, 16 years before he finally died in captivity. So wow. if, if the people on the other side of the table have any kind of inf- infrastructure, whether they be a terrorist group, terrorist groups tend to have infrastructures. Right. Be held for years. Um, Hezbollah, when they went to kidnapping business in Beirut in the 80s, you know, they were holding people for years. Terry, Terry Anderson, um, who I met personally, when he was released, he met his six-year-old daughter for the first time because his fiance was pregnant when he got wow. grabbed and he was held for six years. So terrorist, terrorist, terrorist stuff can last for years. Criminal stuff tends to go much shorter. So how long would it be like the one that you were talking with, the one in Manila with that terrorist, how long did that, with that guy, they, they had a guy named, I can't remember his name right now. Jeff, I think was his first name. Chilling. That was, eight, that was eight months. That was eight months. So then how does it like, can you just, I'm curious, walk me through, like you're on the phone with them for what, like from eight to five, then you call back the next day or is it, how, how does it work? Are you, yeah, what do you do? You know, it's crazy, but the terrorists, if they're out in the jungle, when are they going to get on the phone? When the sun comes up. So you need to be expecting a call anytime after about 5.30 in the morning. Because if you're out in a jungle and a rooster start crowing about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, they, you know, they're going to get up, they're going to wash their face, going to make a phone call. Where's my money? Wow. Then I get, when the sun goes down, it's dark in the jungle. They ain't making phone calls out in the jungle. <laughs> so right, exactly. So in the evening. But like, but how do you? We're not on the phone all day. Kidnappings, you're not on the phone all day, every day. You know, what you, like, what are you doing? Like, tell me, walk me through what a day in a life would be there. You're on the phone. Do you go for lunch and then say, okay, I'm going to be out? Like, it's not like a regular office job. So, how does it work? No, well, I mean, you're analyzing the conversation for a few hours. You're breaking it down. You're going to go back over it two or three times. You're going to create a structure. You know, you got to take a temperature. For, uh, it's, it's like the weather. Weather's going to change every day, but you can get a pretty good prediction on what tomorrow's probably going to look like. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're doing an analysis very much like a weather analysis. I mean, everybody likes to, to make fun of how wrong weathermen are wrong, how often weathermen are wrong. Right. Weathermen are right about 90% of the time. Like I can, I can go on my AccuWeather app right now and get a pretty good idea what temperature is going to be like at two o'clock tomorrow afternoon and whether or not it's going to be raining. So, it, but the assessment is ongoing. So you're going to assess the situation. You're going to pull a lot of information there. You know, the alphabet, the uh, alphabet soup of the federal government is going to be involved in international kidnapping, DOD, Department of Defense. They got Intel guys. You got the agency, they're Intel guys. You, you know, you got, uh, they're going to be Intel. Everybody's got Intel guys. Everybody's got information. So, you know, there's, there, you're not taking your foot off the gas as far as work goes. You might not be talking, but that doesn't mean you're not working. Like, how do they even know your phone number to even get to you? You know, like, how does that, how does all the like little, like little 
minutiae of the situation. Like, so then you, you, you do all your analysis and then you say, okay, it looks like tomorrow we're going to get a call from this guy around 6 a.m. So do you have someone available to answer the phone at 6 a.m. just in case? Or how does he even have your number? Like, a, well, these are like logic, like just like logistical things. Well, actually, you know, in, in point of fact, we'll, what we're going to do is we're going to coach somebody. Okay. And we're going to, we're going to find a family member or a friend or a colleague. We're going to look for the most coachable person. And then we're going to bend the conversation in that direction. Now, bad guys are going to start reaching out for points of contact also. They want to talk to somebody. So they're going right. to find somebody. I, you know, if, if the person they found is not coachable, then we're going to find a way to switch the conversation over. But we're going to schedule the conversation too. You know, we're going to, we're going to put them, we're going to, you know, and we're going to, we're going to make an appointment to talk. Now that sounds insane. Yeah. Your regular life, you got trouble getting appointments as it is now, let alone getting an appointment with a terrorist and having to make sure they're on the phone on the other end. I could barely get an appointment with my dentist, never mind a terrorist, you know, like it sounds crazy. But if you were your dentist's sole patient. It would be much easier. And you wanted, and at the time you wanted was going to help your dentist get paid. Absolutely. Then that dentist was going to make that appointment. And so all you got to do is you got to pitch it to the bad guys at the time that we want to talk is going to help them get paid. They'll be like, all right, we'll call it 10. And then how long could these calls go? What's the longest call that you've had? Well, you know, they're going to be on the phone to get a yes or a no on the money. Right. We're going to want them to have them on the phone much longer. Because right. we're going to want to develop influence, subtle influence that they're, not, that they're going to be, it's going to be invisible to them. It's no different from a business negotiation. You want to develop a working relationship where you have influence. Right. So we're, we're, going, to get, we're going to get pretty good at keeping them on the phone a little bit longer, but not to the point where they get anxious because... A real rule of human communication that everybody overlooks is the last impression is the lasting impression. Mm-hmm. Everybody focuses on a first impression and assumes that, well, I made a great first impression. I'm going to make a great last impression. Not true. And the first impression, no matter how good it is, is not as important as the last impression. Just second most important impression, which makes number one a last impression. So in any given communication, you don't want the other side feeling anxious at the end of the call because the last impression is a lasting impression. People don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel. You always make them feel anxious at the end of the interaction. You're going to guarantee they don't want to talk to you anymore. That's such a true point, right? Like how many times do you meet somebody and you think, oh, they seem fine and nice. And then as you get to know them more, you re- you, they're, they're, they annoy you. And then that's what you're left with. And then you never like you like dismiss them because of that. It's if it's not the biggest problem in human communication, mm-hmm. it's in the top three. Because what do we know? You, you know, people are fighting to get in the last word. What causes people to fight to get in the last word when the last word's a cheap shot? Mm-hmm. You're a jerk. No, you're a jerk. No, you're a jerk. You're fighting to get in the last negative impression, which if you give it some thought. That's so stupid. Right. But it's so invisible, nobody realizes. I mean, you know, we're, we're, in, a, we're in an interaction with a, about, probably about four years ago, with a company that we're terminating a relationship with. 
and they they and and this woman did all the stupid stuff, which is shocking because they had been um, a facilitator of our training. So she was aware of bad habits. So she started out, ah, dealing with you guys has been wonderful. You know, it's been productive for us. We've made a lot of money. You've made a lot of money. And then it steadily deteriorated through the email. Till, uh, mm. You made these promises. You broke these promises. You said you wanted to be partners. And the last line in her email was some partnership. And then she signed a name and that was it. The last impression was a cheap shot. And I remember thinking like, how, how do you think that's a great way to close? The whole reason you're writing this email is because we haven't got a great relationship as it is. As a first, yeah. With all this flowery stuff up front. Wonderful. I love you. It's been great. <laughs> Kumbaya. That does not, that only carries you to the next sentence. Right. And if you get to the last, and then you cheap shot at the end. Like that is so stupid, which is one of the reasons why we're not doing business with you anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's when that's when emotion gets the better of you, right? It's like control that emotion that that like that knee jerk reaction, right? That's why uh, emotion, yeah, absolutely, because it builds with you. And the, the other thing, as as a negative emotion builds, the funny thing about it is your self righteousness increases mm, with your negativity. Yeah. Like there's an old phrase out there. Never give a speech when you're angry because it'll be the greatest speech you ever regret. Right. Yeah. This downward spiral of anger and self-righteousness, which again is very much a conversation that's taking place on Facebook today. Yes. Angry, self-righteous, angry, self-righteous. Everybody's self-righteous and everybody's angry. And so true. downward spirals in these conversations. I, I know. I agree. They need you on, on on Facebook. Maybe you can help negotiate. <laughs> I think. I think you should go back to. I think you should go back into like you know. Well, actually, go back into the government. They need you very badly right now. That's for sure. Um, I was going to say to you something that you know. You were always talking about no. You don't believe in compromise, though. So absolutely. That's horrible. Is that listen? How is that possible in, in like real life or in business? Right. I think it's. I, I thought that was so such an interesting thing to even read about because that's it's a kind of like a platitude that everyone always says you know like you know if we should just we need to compromise we got to find a comprom we got to find a compromise it's like everyone's just like go to statement right why do you hate okay so why do you not like compromise and what can you do instead of compromising to make parties feel that they haven't been uh, taken over the coals so to speak are you willing to compromise your integrity? Me? Yeah. No. But I thought you said compromise was good. Well, that's what I said. Does it matter what you're compromising? Can you? I can. I. I mean, my comp, my integrity. Maybe I won't. I won't compromise. But like, let's say, you know, certain other things. You know, I want to make a hundred dollars. You only want to pay me uh, fifty dollars. So we're going to settle on ninety nine. No, I'm just joking. On like seventy five. You know. right, so if I want to make a hundred dollars, all I'm going to do is I'm going to say I want two hundred, and I'm going to compromise and take one hundred, and I will have completely suckered you and gotten what I wanted every step of the way. I just lied. But don't people know? I mean, at this, let's just go. Let's operate on the plane that everyone knows that everyone does that, right? We're all going to start high and try to get to a place that's more where we want. Here's here's where. First of all, 
The top negotiators do not do that. What do they do? Tell me what they do. That's why I have you here. Well, the top negotiators, they realize that that's a game and it's, it's a game of deception mm-hmm. and deception is not one of their operating principles. Dece- you know, either you're, either you're, either you're a little bit pregnant. How can you be a little bit pregnant? You can't be. No. So that deception is very much the same way. Yeah, no, I tell the truth except when it's not to my advantage. Then I don't. But I tell the truth, but except if it's not to my advantage. Now, wait a minute. No, you don't tell the truth. Right. There's all sorts of deception. And so that starts with you saying like, okay, so there are circumstances I could deceive. That's all right. That's a slippery slope. Um, that catches up with you. It's going to catch up with you. The long-term costs of deception are high. And most of the people that are not into it, they learn the hard way. Like this is costing me. The other side's going to find out I lied to them regularly about what I wanted just to get them to the position I wanted them to be in. That's eventually going to come out. I'm not a believer in using a a negotiation concepts that I have to hide from the other side because I'm ashamed of. But compromise is different than deception, right? Like you're saying you don't believe in compromise in, in what, like, so what do you do? If so, what happens if you let's, 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 let's parse this out a little bit. Because you talked about two different kinds of compromise. That was, the first one was a fake compromise, so I could end up where I wanted to all along. Yeah. Now let's talk about an actual compromise. Actual compromise always waters down the solution. Mm-hmm. Always. I mean, I don't have I have yet to come across somebody that said, Wow, we compromised and it was wonderful. I mean, <laughs> our compromise led us to the greatest solution we could ever have imagined. Far better than if compromise was a good <laughs> idea. In the American Congress, we would live in nirvana. There would be no economic problems. There would be no social problems. Our taxes, if we paid them at all, would be extremely low. And everybody would be happy. Mm-hmm. And um, there were, in, instead of uh, painting on Pennsylvania Avenue saying Black Lives Matter, the painting would say uh, Congress is wonderful because <laughs> all we do is compromise and we love Congress. Right. So the spirit of compromise is, is the idea should be the spirit of collaboration. I can give you massive example after example of how compromise destroyed the original intent. One of my favorite ones these days is Colin Kaepernick. Mm. Colin Kaepernick started taking a knee as a compromise. He was originally refusing to stand for the national anthem, so he sat. Now, he met Nate Boyer, and Nate Boyer, who was, who was a, I think, may have played in the NFL, but he was also a special yeah. forward. Army He's also an NF. I know him. He was a bachelor for my Babes for Boobs auction that I do for charity. Well, you just blew my mind with that. I don't. Know. We we better not even go there. But anyway, yeah, I have a I have a breast cancer charity. I started with my best friend to raise money for breast cancer. I I auction off bachelors. Yes, and nice. to give it's, it's my way of giving back. Yes, and Nate Boyer this you year last for charity. You sold men for charity. I sell men for charity for dinner dates and I sold Nate Boyer to one of my best friends, actually. How funny is that? How did it go? How do you, I got to know. It went well. Go ahead. She, she paid $3,000 for dinner. All, all the money went to breast cancer. It's, it's very, a lot of people do it for the, for the, for the actual charitable contribution. And they had a good time from what I understand, but that's so weird that you mentioned Nate Boyer of all the people that you just, you know, that you just said. Yeah, my impression is from only what I've read in in the, in the media is a great dude. 
He's really oh, nice. Oh, I yeah. liked him. He's a great guy. He's a really nice guy. And he works for the NFL Network. And he did play for the NFL for one year. And he was like a special forces guy. That's exactly his resume, his bio. <laughs> so, so Nate goes to Kaepernick. Well, yeah. He says, look, as a, as a special forces guy, I can take a knee at the grave of a fallen comrade as a sign of respect. And Kaepernick, to his credit, was touched by this. And so he started taking a knee as a sign of respect. Who that's opposed to kneeling sees it as a sign of respect. That's what compromise does. Mm. Gotcha. That makes sense. So is it better not to do anything? You what, rather walk away or just stick to your own guns than just to just to, to bend a little on something that you really hardly believe in? No, I, I say, you know, never split the difference. That's a double-edged sword. You might be right. I got to be willing to hear you out and be willing to be open to the idea that you might be smarter than me or you might have a better solution than I do. And if I, it's revealed to me that you have a better solution, am I going to refuse to accept that because my ego is in a way? You know, that's uh, my, my mom had a great face cut off my nose to spite my face. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's, I'm hurting me out of ego. I'm in my way. I'm, I'm holding myself. So never split the difference. The idea is if I'm, if I want you to be willing to accept that I'm completely right. You know, I, uh, I had an ex-girlfriend used to like say, I can live by your rules. Can you? Then I have to be able to accept that you might be right. And I've got to get out of my own way mm -hmm. because you might be right. Now, now we're talking. And now the, the, the likelihood is that we'll actually find a solution that neither one of us envisioned. That's where this is going. Mm. No, I like that. And I, I, when, you when you even like talk about it in the book, I found it, like when you gave some examples, it's 100% true because when you walk away with that kind of like feeling of, well, I kind of bend on this and like everyone ends up unhappy at the end of the day when you do it that way. Yep, but yeah. It, it's a throwaway that everyone always like, again, like a, like a platitude. Everyone just says, yeah, we, you know, you got to compromise. You got to compromise, right. you know, and you do that a lot, actually. A lot of the things like, you know, even when you say, you know, the best negotiation always starts with the word no. Right. And like, it's like when you think when you first hear it, I'm like, what? And then when you think about it and you and you explain it, it makes such it makes such good sense to why. Right. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> no, yeah, you're welcome. Um, but it's true. It's like you, and, and when you say it like that, when you hear that's right, when you yeah. hear the, the two words, that's right, you know, you're, you're kind of, right you're, you're, you're on the right track. Can we talk a little bit about that a, a little bit about I'm how, good. okay, good. Um, so yeah, go ahead. The floor is yours. Well, you know, um, that's right. Is always a good sign from the other side. It tells you that to, on, to some degree you're connecting, you're establishing a relationship. They feel heard and understood. And you, you can you can you can get you can get little that's right. You get a great big giant that's right. You get a great big giant that's right. The other side is bonded to you. I mean, bonded with nearly an un, to, nearly to an unbreakable degree, like. Pick a charismatic leader. It doesn't matter which one. 
You know, I'll use, I'll use the current president of the United States as an example. But the guy succeeded. He's a charismatic leader as well. They had unshakable followers. Mm-hmm. So there are some people on earth that no matter what, Barack Obama, Barack Obama could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. They'd still support him. You know, like Trump said, Trump said, I can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. My supporters would still back me up. What a lot of people who don't like him hate about that statement is it's true. It's true. Exactly. At any time, Donald Trump said something that they heard and they went, that's right. That's what a person says uh, when they're all in, when they believe that what the other person has said is the unequivocal truth. It's inarguable. It's clarity. It's They may as well have gotten it from on high. When you're all in with what somebody said, people say, that's right. Now, look at what's happened to the followers of the charismatic leader. Mm-hmm. They will ignore all other evidence to the contrary. It doesn't matter how much comes at them, they stay bonded. And that's the advantage of getting a that's right out of somebody. If you get a massive that's right, in point of fact, we refer to it as the oxytocin event. Mm-hmm. Oxytocin is a self-generated drug. It's the bonding drug. It's the bond that it's the drug that you get a hit of when you see your newborn child for the first time. It's the bonding drug. It's the way there's a there's an Australian zoologist who got baby geese to bond to him just because he made sure he was standing there when they pecked their way out of their the shell. And suddenly they're mama and they're and they're following around like he's a mother. It's that strong of a bond. You give somebody gets a good solid hit of oxytocin in your presence. They are bonded to you, and that and that's what that five star. That's right, is all about. If I get you bonded to me, we're going to work this out. And because you're bonded to me, and you're going to forgive me for mistakes, and when I make mistakes, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna slough it off. You're gonna continue to work with me because I we had that bonding moment, and that's why in the book, you know, the shilling case you were talking about before, we got a, we got a five star oxytocin event out of our terrorist and when it was all over and the hostages walked away what's what's the significance of that that means terrorists didn't get paid terrorists got nothing a week and a half later the terrorist calls the negotiator I was co- he was talking to on the phone the guy I was coaching who got the that's right out of him and said you know you're really good they should promote you that's the power of a bonding one of those bonding moments. I mean, I think that is, that's right, actually. that Now I'm saying it to you. That's right. When you say, describe that, it is 100% true. That is exactly how it happens, right? Because you feel, you make the other person feel understood that, and they feel that they were, they've been listened to and that you, someone understands them. And everybody wants to feel like they've been, that they are understood and being listened to. And you're tapping into that in your brain, in, into their brain. And that's- uh, yeah, and, and we, like we in, in my company these days, we don't even talk about psychology. We talk about neuroscience. And, and in neuroscience, yeah. terms, we always talk about the neurochemicals that are released. Because you're going to have a tremendous amount of speculation about what parts of the brain are involved at different times. Like I read a study the other day. They're trying to, they're trying to map what it does to you to not be understood. Mm-hmm. Focusing on the organic components of the brain and the different names of you know you know the hippocampus and all this nonsense and so they this massive academic study god knows what it cost and their conclusion was 
not being understood might make you feel bad. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? That's what it yeah. said? That's not, uh, I mean, that, I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm like, seriously? Crazy. But now, on the other hand, if I say not being understood triggers your body's release of cortisol, mm-hmm. which is a stress hormone, which causes a fight or flight reaction, which by definition destroys a relationship. Now you're going like, oh, well, that's information I could use because I know what cortisol is. Right. And one of our principal uh, endeavors in today's world is to limit our body's dumping of cortisol into into our system because Mm -hmm. it's harmful. Or if I say, if you feel understood, then you get a hit of oxytocin and oxytocin is the bonding drug. You're like, ooh. Yeah, I can use that information. Or I, I got another one for you that I really like. Okay. If you correct me, you get a hit of dopamine. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. Dopamine is cocaine. Mm-hmm. And you're going to like it so much that you can't wait to do it again, which means you're going to stay in that conversation with me. And you're going to want to repeat it. And if the last impression is the lasting impression, and as a result of the last impression, you got to hit a dopamine, then you're going to pick up the phone every time I call. More from our guest, but first a few words from our sponsor. So do you want your team to develop habits that will help them thrive? You need Rise.com, the all-in-one online training system employees love. Rise makes online training easy to create, enjoyable to take, and simple to manage. With Rise, anyone can easily create guides, courses, and other training content. You can start from scratch or customize hundreds of pre-built lessons, helpful course templates, and gorgeous sample courses to build content even faster. Your learners will love Rise because Rise courses are beautiful, interactive, and engaging. Your managers will love Rise because Rise makes it fast and easy to create, distribute, and analyze online training. And your IT department will love Rise because it has everything your team needs to manage online training in one secure enterprise class system. See why you'll love Rise by starting a free 30-day trial at rise.com slash hustle. That's rise.com slash hustle. What's the the best and clearest way to get to that hit of dopamine that that's it with all the tactics. It's knowing when like I began this, it's knowing when to use which tactic and it has to be, you have to work, you have to be, you have to know, you have to have the training, I guess, the practice, the consistency to know when to utilize what to get to that point. You know, the, the real critical issue is the courage to make mistakes. And one of my favorite stories on making mistakes, director of business development for my company, a young lady named Davy. Davy's a superstar. I mean, a superstar. She's a young millennial Mormon. What is what difference does that make? She goes on a Mormon mission to Ecuador. She's got to learn Spanish. She didn't know Spanish. And I say, all right, yeah, well, it's going to be awkward when you get down there because for you to get to conversational Spanish, in, in reality, the person who's coaching her says, you're going to have to make 10,000 mistakes 
and it's going to take you about a year to make 10,000 mistakes. And Davey said, oh, well, what if I just make the mistakes faster? She gets conversational in eight weeks because not only is she welcoming mistakes, mm-hmm. but she sees mis- each mistake as a success. So she's getting her dopamine hits by doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And she gets all her mistakes in and, and she's fluent. Conver- she's conversational. She's made a year's progress in eight weeks by getting her time in and seeing mistakes as not as punishment, but as I just got to make 10,000 mistakes and I'm going to have it. So she, you know, if you launch all in, you can get really good, really fast, as long as mistakes are not a deterrent, but, you know, scoring points on a board to get you there faster. But how would you, okay. So like, you know, you have this thing, you have silence is also super important, right? People think, that they have to be talking, talking, talking. Yep. The silence part, the labeling, the mirroring. Um, also, another one that I, I thought was I wanted to talk to about was the calibrated questions. You know, yep. always with like basically an open-ended question, right? Like yep. how or is when do you use what to get to the goal at or to get to the that's it? Well, you know what? What's a great question for revealing obstacles? Principally, I mean, you can use it in other ways, but as, as, as a designator, if you need to reveal an obstacle, like if you ask me a question a lot more, what's more important is your question, than your question is what's causing you to ask. The question behind a question is a thousand and one people would have said. Mm-hmm. If you ask me a question for me to give you a really smart answer, my best response is what makes you ask? So uh, what's the next step? What's the biggest problem we face? What's getting in our way? What is the principally, if you're going to ask a question to reveal something, it's great for revealing obstacles. And that's why we talk about calibrated questions, because what are we calibrating? What are we designing the question to do? If it's to reveal an obstacle in a very deferential fashion, because there's great power in deference, then we're going to use it, uh, use a what question. That's, that's, that's its principal design. Now, the calibrated questions, a.k.a. open-ended questions, also require in-depth thinking, which can be good and bad. So Daniel Kahneman would call system two thinking, in-depth thinking. In-depth thinking is fatiguing. I can use a what question to intentionally fatigue you without you knowing that's what I'm doing to you. If I really need an answer, I'm not going to get a good answer after lunch on any given day, because even if you don't eat lunch, you get more fatigued in the afternoon because your circadian rhythm kicks in, plus you're starting to suffer from decision mm. fatigue. So I need to, I'm, I probably need to use my what questions in the morning when you get a lot of gas in the tank and give me a good answer. So context drives strategy, situation drives strategy. What am I trying to accomplish? What kind of dynamics have I got on the other side at a bare minimum? What time of day is it? And then, okay, so is that how you start though? Because you, you, okay, so I got two parts to this kind of. So you want people to start with the, you when you at when you talk to them, you want them to start with no, so that's easier to get to a yes with. But also, you say it also gives a person a feeling of control and power when they say no at the beginning, 
right? So if they start with, so you yeah. have to be, you have to be shrewd enough to know what, what to ask them to even get to, for that no question. It's about like, it's about wordsmithing what you want to ask them. So it, it becomes, it, it starts with a no, right? So like you say, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's fine. I was gonna say, in, like you, it, like a lot of this in the book is like, if if you when you call somebody, you say, "Am I catching you at a bad time?" Right. You know, or or you say, "Can you talk?" Or whatever, or can you talk now? Or it's like just tweaking it a little bit so someone starts with the no, so they feel the power, and then they ask you something, and you can be like, you know, if they want a getaway car or whatever, you're like, "Well, how do you expect me to to get you that car?" Or yeah, right. Yeah. But my, 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 my point is, it's a, what I guess I'm now I'm losing my train, my train of thought. My point you is out by asking me about changing the questions to no. To, to, well, first it's about changing the question to no, but like, again, the, the, what's the, what's the protocol, the pattern? Like you start with what part to go to the next part. Cause you say like, you first do this, then you do the calibrated question. Then you stop, you, you shut up and have silence, like all those pieces. You know, like when you think when you're thinking about it, it's hard to be in the moment, I guess, is my point. But all of these practice it is. Yeah. Without practice, it is. But what so can you just walk me through like what you would do, like to say to get to that, like which which is more important, like. um, For example, for the yeses, right, you say for the no, there's three different types of yeses. You say, right. right? Like people can just say whatever they want to you just to kind of get you off the phone, right? The counterfeit, yes. Let's talk about that. Like you start with the no and then to get them to the proper that's right, there's all these different yeses. I'll fix that. All right. Now, well, and I, and I got to tell you something. We didn't de-emphasize this yes enough in the book. I mean, we're, we're at the point now where we're like, get out of yes entirely. Yes is so problematic that it's just simpler to leave the word alone. Every single question that you designed to get either confirmation or commitment, yes. And a lot of people, what's wrong with confirmation? Yes. Nobody ever asks you to confirm anything unless they're taking you. Ever. And everybody's been burned. You know, there's, there's the saying once bitten, twice shy, or I think it's an African saying, somebody who's been bitten by a snake is scared of ropes. You only got to get burned by saying yes a couple of times for it to become an automatic response because you, you, you will always remember when you got burned. Had, I was on a call earlier today. Son is, my son is the president of my company, phenomenal negotiator. To this day, he remembers when he was about eight years old that somebody got him to say yes, and the next thing you know, he'd been parted with one of his from from one of his famous favorite sports cards. It's burned in his brain how saying yes betrayed. Mm. He is never going to forget that. Everybody's got an experience, whether they can call it up or they just been drilled into him so hard. When I was about. 23, I bought a coupon book for $25. It was supposed to save me $25,000. I remember that coupon book. (laughs) I still got that coupon book in my desk. I ain't figured out how to use any of them. (gasps) Most of the coupons are not even usable. Yeah, or or the person, (laughs) like there are people now making a massive living buying 
timeshares. Because of how many people got conned into buying a timeshare with this yes, would you would you like to stay in a luxurious hotel anywhere in the world whenever you wanted to? You know, the whole series of yeses. So many people have been conned into those yeah. timeshares that there are companies that are now buying them for pennies on a dollar because nobody can figure out how to use a timeshare. Because they right. don't walk into it with yes-oriented questions. So the world has been so badly burned. Everybody you meet has got not one of those experiences, probably five of them, to the point that the minute you begin to engage in the same behavior that the person that ripped them off did, you start triggering alarm bells in that person. That's the problem with yes. But also a lot of yeses are false yeses, right? People say yes. Right. To get a, to get rid of you. They say yes. And they'll later on, like, just like, you need a yes with a how. Right. Like that's yeah, what yes is nothing without how. And then, then really, yes is nothing. And how is everything. Right. So you, you just I mean, literally, like, I'm, I'm not kidding. And we're actually working on another book right now that should be out early next year. Really? And you know, cause, What's it called? Uh, the working title right now is Collecting No's. The missing okay. manual for never split the difference. Okay. Okay. Because, you know, we, we, we adopted a, a, a yes formula to make sure that your yes wasn't counterfeit. We say, okay, well, to make sure it's not counterfeit, you got to get three solid yeses to the same question in, at, the, in, at the same time, three in a row. And it's, uh, it's uh, an evolution of what Jim Camp would have called the three plus, three yeses three times in a row. He just wanted them as yes-oriented questions. We expanded the skill set on how to get the yeses. But people misunderstand that. I mean, we're, we're coaching a guy in a company, and he's trying to get three separate yeses to three separate questions. And finally, we, we stopped him and said, where, where are you getting this nonsense from? He says, it's in your book. Uh, I know it's in my book, and that ain't in the book. <laughs> and he went to the page and goes, oh, I guess, I guess, yeah, it's a little bit different. But I like this. So it's close enough to what you were saying. So I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to say that you said to do it. We're like, no, that is not what we said. It's just, it's such a slippery slope to deal with yes at all. You're so much better off by, instead of saying, do you agree? I say, do you disagree? Instead of saying, does this look like something that would work for you? I say, I said, is this horrible? Is this ridiculous? And on the same call that we were on uh, this morning, you know, my son says, he likes to say to people, is it going to blow up your entire schedule for the week to talk to me on Tuesday afternoon? No, it's not going to blow up my schedule, but here are my following problems. And they work right. out instantly. I'll, I'll give you, here's a tricky one, which I've kept to myself until this has been a past relationship. Okay. Right? So uh, my ex-girlfriend, I, you know, I'd come in late in the afternoon, too late to cook dinner. We're going to order DoorDash. We always order, I always order the same thing. I get the same thing, I'm gonna get it from Cheesecake Factory. I got something I want. I walk in and if I were to say, you know, how about if we order Cheesecake Factory? And she's gonna be like, ah, I don't know. What do they have? We're gonna go through a 45 minute conversation. And then we're gonna order Cheesecake Factory. So I walk in one night and I go, are you against ordering a Cheesecake Factory? She goes, no, and I order right away. We got it done 45 minutes sooner than we would have otherwise. Right. No, I love that. I laugh because I mean, I feel like everyone goes to that same thing. You know, we all have the same thing we order every single time. And um, 
you get talk about it in advance. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And also, it's funny how you say like this. And I love this. Like, I made a little note to myself because I actually talk about this too. How like this people who are, are too smart make probably the worst negotiators because they think they know everything, which is probably so. It's so true, right? Because you think that you know everything, that you don't have the curiosity and the ability to listen to someone else. Curiosity is one of the great tactical advantages, not just to negotiation, but to life. Yeah. I, I agree with you. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Now you, now you have me forever. That's Somehow right. I feel bonded to you right now. I the don't oxytocin, know. the oxytocin. <laughs> it's so true, though. It's 100% right. And then like, hold on a second. I wanted to say, I wanted to kind of like, you know, circle back to something. And I think I... I feel like I, I get to, like I said, I wasn't joking. I had like so many notes here that I like highlighted because I, I just really enjoyed reading your book. I really did. I, I really found it to be unique, interesting. It, and it, it, some of those things were like, you know, some of like common sense isn't so common sometimes, right? Like it's common sense that people want to be listened to and understood and this yeah. thing would work or that thing would work. But sometimes when you see it in, in writing, it, it makes you think about it more, right? And and then use it. But um, another one, I, I was curious why you left the black swan, whole, the whole thing about the black, like the unknown, black swan, which is the unknown unknowns uh-huh. portion, which I'm going to ask you about right now. So, so like towards the end, because I feel like that is so important and so like fundamental to everything else that you talk about, right? Isn't it always the... The devil in the details, which make everything devil the most. The details, yeah. it's, it's devils in the details, and then like, and that's the that really is like when I when I saw and then when I read about the Black Swan method, which is the name of your company too, right? Yeah, Black Swan Group. I found like wow, like this should be at the beginning of the book because it's so important. Yeah, those are tough calls. I mean, the order of sequencing of information. And kind of the crazy thing, though, too, sometimes sometimes you give an answer after you've made the question burn for a while, or you put the mm. other person in a position for it to be a revealing moment. And and you you probably have done a good job if somebody goes, ah, I wish I would have known that sooner, because then that means that at that moment, they got it. So no, It's true. You're right. In that way, you're right. Because when I read it, I'm like, of course, this is like the... The, the, the secret sauce for anything but you know it's like to be again one of, the, one of those things like well it's obvious we talk first let's talk tell us what the black swan what it is because people are going to be listening and they're gonna be like what the hell are they talking about so well you know it's it's a small piece of information that, that's hidden that's going to make all the difference in the world and the, the really hard thing about it is it's where unknowns overlap you know and you use the phrase the unknown unknown but it's, it's really where the unknowns of overlap because if, you know, if I've got a, in any given negotiation, if, if I'm holding information back, then you are. And I am. And so you are too. Mm-hmm. There's never a case when you're not, which means there's never a case when the other side isn't also. So we mm-hmm. get two sets of unknowns. And what happens when they overlap? That's when it gets really crazy. Because you can't know until you start getting what the other side's holding back out on the table. You're, by definition, moving forward on faulty information. And so many people get used to, look, I know what's going on. 
that that is just such a self-seduction and cutting yourself off from better outcomes. So that's kind of kind of what the black swans are. They're there. How do you find them? What's the what's the what's the best ways to find them? Well, the first the first is to you know accept that they exist. You know, let's accept that UFOs exist. Let's accept that they exist, and and that's that's the hardest thing for some people. And then accept that you, the best place to find them is at the table. Now, the real barrier is not finding them. It's a lot of people hate get caught off guard. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be surprised at the table because they'll be embarrassed. And that'll burn in their brain. So they'll they'll spend six months searching for information they, they could have gotten in a 20-minute conversation if they were any good at the conversation. That, by definition, is poor use of your time. So it's willing to be able to go in, giving, hoping for surprises, hoping for mistakes. You know, like Davey, hoping, hoping to make a mistake, knowing it was a good thing. If you hope for surprises, now you're going to get caught let up, less off guard. If you come in with a curious approach, you're not going to get caught off guard. You're not going to get rattled. It's going to be a better interaction all the way around. And you will accelerate through the interaction as opposed to being bogged down. What's the, what's the best way? And, I, and I've, I had a couple of different, I had a Secret Service uh, agent on recently who was really fascinating too. And we talked a little bit about lying and how you can tell when someone's lying. What and you know, I'm curious from your from your experience, um, what, how, and, and from your experience, what is the best ways to tell if someone's lying? Well, you know, quickest down and dirty thing is um, what we refer to as the Pinocchio effect. Like if the more if the more words you use, you know, Pinocchio's nose got longer. Mm-hmm. The more words you use, like if you're lying, you know you're lying. So since you know you know you're lying, it's going to create some insecurity. And you're going to start convincing me. The other side's convincing me. That correlates strongly with deception. Now, the words that I used just now were very well chosen. Correlation and causation. It's not definitive. You got to start knowing what correlates. And then ideally, you want if three things correlate on the same objective, you've triangulated it. You got a pretty good objective. So convincing is a real strong one. Um, Why would I lie? Somebody's got to say that because they lie. Uh, To be honest, that's a tell that the other side is uncomfortable with the words. Now, discomfort correlates, but only correlates. They might be uncomfortable with the truth. Oh wow! Or, you know, why would I lie? Could mean a lot of things. You're gonna, you know, context, situation drives strategy, situation drives assessment. Start looking at the other things that correlate with that. You get, you get three that line up. You, you get a pretty. You, you're, you're probably, you're probably right. You're probably dead on. So when people use too many words, is what you're saying. You can tell that there, there's a good chance that they're lying. When they get defensive, which I think is a Kind no, no, no. Here, here's another one. You gotta, now, defensiveness depends upon how you're interpreting the defensiveness. Mm. Um, if I'm getting angry at you for not believing, you might interpret that as defensiveness. Right. Anger correlates strongly with somebody being honest. Like, I told you the truth, and you were too right. stupid 
to not pay any attention. So if I start treating you in this conversation as if you're an idiot for not believing me, you'll prompt most likely say, oh, he's lying, but because you were offended at my approach. You know, genuine anger at not being believed correlates very strongly with somebody telling the truth. I wish I could remember the British politician, House mm. of Commons guy, right after the second Iraq war, he was accused of profiteering by the U.S. Congress on oil contracts. And they subpoenaed him to Congress. Not only did he show up, but he showed up without an attorney, which is an interesting move. Wow. And all he did was berate them and finger wag at them as to why they were idiots and how stupid they were. And he presented his evidence. And he felt like his evidence for him being an honest man was sufficient. And he browbeat the hell out of them for being idiots. And I thought, all right, so he showed up without an attorney. He didn't have to show up at all because he, a, a British politician can ignore a congressional subpoena all day long. And he sat there and told them what morons they were. I believe this guy. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would, I would believe him too. But you're saying if someone says, to be honest... That could be that they're lying also? To be honest, is, is always an indicator that the other person is uncomfortable with what they're getting ready to say or what they just said. Now, in the FBI, when we were interviewing somebody, if a guy said, to be honest, I'm like, all right, either you were lying or you are lying now. You know, you got, I, I just got to figure out which one is the case. And But having looked at it and now and seeing it show up in other places, what it is, is it's always an indicator of discomfort. I'm worried about how you're going to react to what I'm getting ready to say. So that better than 51% of the time is you're lying. Right. But there's a significant part of the time when like you just, you're getting ready to tell me the truth and you're scared and you're using it simply as a softener. So that happens enough that I, I don't jump the gun on the phrase, to be honest the way I used to when I was conducting criminal and interrogations, interviews on a regular basis. I'm not so quick to pull a trigger on that being lying. I just know you're uncomfortable. I got to figure out exactly why you're uncomfortable. Right, right, right. Because I say that a lot, but I feel it's also procrastination. You do it to procrastinate, right? So, to the, get to your point, you know, you like, you like do filler words before you say your actual st statement. So you're thinking of so when you think about something. Yeah, which is uh, it's you being aware of you wanting to make your words when you land them being carefully chosen. So that it's, to me, I hear that as another indicator of discomfort. To be you're, on it, I'm just joking. <laughs> you're, you're procrastinating because when it comes out, you want to make sure it comes out exactly right. Yeah, I mean, so you, you were doing this for, you were in the FBI doing this for 24 years. Well, I was in the FBI for 24 years. I, I, uh, my last 15, I was a hostage negotiator. That's a, I'm surprised you didn't burn out before that. That's a long time to be a negotiator, I feel, isn't it? Well, for the first eight of those 15, um, I had other duties. So I wasn't solely focused on negotiation. The last seven, there was nothing else in my life, and I worked every day. And I didn't think I was burned out, but after I got out, when I, you know, I went back to school, you know, old, old movie with Rodney Dangerfield, this, this, this funny blue collar comedian. 
Yeah, no, I know who he is. I love him. <laughs> of course, oh, I yeah. have no respect. How do you think I, well, I don't didn't know respect, him? Yeah. Come on. Uh, I'm, I'm flattered that you think I'm that young that I wouldn't know who Rodney Dangerfield is. I don't know. Your, your parents told you about Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, yes, exactly. That's how I know. Your parents made you watch it. That's exactly. There, there's that oxytocin again. I'm, um, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> So amazing. Um, you went back to school after after you were a negotiator? After when I left the bureau, uh, there was a special program. Oh, the Harvard, right? The Harvard thing. And I could get a master's degree in a year and I could get in not by passing a test, which I probably wouldn't have passed, but based on my sort of my life credentials. And, and I racked up enough life credentials that they let me in. How long were you actually on the phone as a negotiator? Because I heard you in one interview saying that you could have the least, the person who is a, has the least experience on the phone because a person actually talking is not the most important person. So how long yeah. were you on the phone? Well, you know, I mean, depend upon it, depend upon the siege, any given, if it's a contained siege, you know, you know where they are, they're not getting away, they're in a bank or something like that. You know, a negotiator should never be on the phone for more than a couple hours at a time. You're going to get burned out. Wow. Um, in, in a single conversation and you're going to want to have breaks. You're not going to want to stay on the phone the whole time. And then it's also going to correlate with how long has the person been up, what time of day it is. Like I, uh, I, back, I was a backup negotiator at a local siege in Dobbs Ferry, New York. We sh when we showed up, the, the, it had been going for 30 hours and overnight. So the hostage negotiators that were on the phone were for ride. And we advocated to the commander that they bring in some more negotiators and back these guys up. And I said, you know, I'm not on your team. It's not my job to get on the phone. I'm not advocating to get on the phone. You got to bring some more of your own people in. I said, we don't have any more people. You got, you got to get in as a backup. So I went in as a backup and, a guy, and the guy that we rotated out, I mean, he was, he was unconscious on his feet. I mean, he was utterly burned out because he hadn't, he hadn't had a break in, in 30 hours. Oh, Wow. So, and plus, you know, he had, it was, it went overnight. So he'd probably been up for, in a, you know, probably close to 42 hours. So it, dude was tired. So wow. he run out of gas. Don't think it when we, when we swapped out, we had, we had the bad guy out in probably less than an hour. I, wow. I was going to say, don't they get annoyed on the other side, the, whoever the, the terrorist or the, the counter person is that you're switching off people? Because isn't it about building a rapport and building a relationship? Don't they want the same person to be on the phone? Well, they could, and then, then that, the handoff is critical. And so, you know, there, it's, and how do you lessen the negative response from a handoff? And they're, you know, they're like, for example, if they're gonna hand off to me, they can say, look, Chris has been sitting here for about an hour and a half. Um, he's heard everything. I don't, I don't have to tell him what's going on. And no. so uh, he's been listening. He's been dialed in and, you know, I got to go whatever I got to go do. And, you know, this, that smooth handoff, then if somebody hands me the phone, my job, if we're doing a smooth handoff, which we don't always do, but if we are, my job as a negotiator is to say, look, you know, Bob, uh, you know, I've been here for about an hour and a half listening and here's, here's, here's what I got up to now. And I'll repeat everything. Essentially driving for that's right, right off the bat. Now, if I get it wrong, instead of to Bob getting a hit of oxytocin, 
what Bob is going to get a hit of is dopamine because that's what you get when you correct. Mm-hmm. That means I didn't get the drug I was after, but I got a drug that I could use anyway. Mm-hmm. And that would be all right. That's amazing. I know I've been keeping you forever. I just, I'm, 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 I'll let you, I'll wrap it up in like two seconds. I'm curious what the most common question that people ask you when they find out that you were this, you know, hostage, nego- FBI hostage negotiator, just when at a party, at a dinner party, when we used to be able to do those things. What's the, right? What's the most common thing like off the cuff that people want to know? And then when we get done, um, are you going to let me tell everybody how to subscribe to the newsletter? Absolutely. I'll let you do whatever you want. You can keep on talking for another two hours. I'm, I'm fascinated by you. Well, we, 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 yeah, we got I got other, other stuff coming up on a calendar. It's very kind of you to say. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, the, you know, typical response. How about business community? The typical response is first, you know, well, let me tell you about this. Nego- I'm a great negotiator. Let me tell you about this negotiation I had. Now, I, anybody that says that to me, I always know they're a lousy negotiator. <laughs> And they're leaving money on the table. And and the, if somebody says, let me tell you about this negotiation. It happened a long time ago. And they beat the other side, which means they left an enemy behind them instead of a friend. And the reason I hate those stories the most is because there tends to be a response to somebody who's closed to learning by anything other than experience. While experience is a critical element of learning, if it's the only element, you are steadily deteriorating. And I hate to see somebody not only that is steadily deteriorating, but the amount of time it's going to take me to bring them around is just not going to be worth it for me. And so I'll just go like, yeah, okay. Oh, wow. 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 What a great story. Nice to meet you. And then I'll go talk to somebody (laughs) Exactly. I mean, you've been amazing. Thank you, Chris. I really, I want to show you uh, this book, Never Split the Difference, is amazing. I, like I said, I you're welcome. Not only did I listen to it, I also read it twice. Um, how do people find out about you? Uh, you do a lot of these presentations for companies. You said right, your company. Talk about your. Tell us about your company. Where people can find you and. Yeah, the, the, the best way to get up to speed on us is to subscribe to our, our weekly newsletter, which is free, which is a good price. Mm-hmm. But even more important because, all right, let's say it doesn't cost you anything. What's the return on investment on your time? The articles are concise, short and sweet. You know, I, I, get, I get a daily 10-point update from the Wall Street Journal first thing in the morning. By the time I'm reading, done reading that baby, I got to go take a nap. There's so much information. It's fatiguing. Mm-hmm. Our newsletter has one concise, actionable article in it, period. You can blast through it. You get it first thing in your inbox on a Tuesday morning. It's a tune-up. It's a warm-up. It's like stretching before you go into the game. And it's actionable, and you are going to be able to use it in stuff that day, most likely. Plus, we got a whole library of them on the website for you to search and pull out the appropriate one. Now, the best way to subscribe to the, the newsletter, which, by the way, is a gateway to everything else, if you send a text message to the number 33777, the number, again, you send it to is 33777. The message you send is Black Swan Method, three words, spaces in between. Capitalization does not matter. Black Swan Method, just like you were actually texting that message to somebody. 
send it to 33777. You'll get a request back for your email address. We'll sign you up. You'll be off to the races. The newsletter is a gateway to everything. We train individuals. We train companies. We focus on high-performance individuals. We market to the top 1%, high-performance. That's who we're really at because it's easier. High-performers, you know, they're like eagles. Every company's got some eagles. Um, we, we do a lot of stuff for, for companies also, but we specifically market to the top 1% performers. We coach a lot too. That was one of the things that I, you know, the unexpected. Um, I thought we'd just train companies and eventually we'd train every company and then we'd have to go into retirement and go to another country. <laughs> um, we, the coaching practice has developed far more than I ever expected. And we do a lot of coaching. We'll coach you through a deal. We're expensive. I mean, we're ridiculously expensive. But if you got enough on a line, We'll get you through that in probably a week, no matter yeah. how long you've been screwing with it up to that point. What do you call that? That you just told everyone right off the bat that you're expensive. That's called something in your book. It's called honesty. I'm it's honest. called, I love that. It's called honesty. That's for sure. That is. It's also called some. Oh yeah. It's uh, come on. You know what it's called. You're you're I. Uh, you're putting. Look, I, you know, I don't. I don't ever want you to get caught off guard by bad news. Wait, when you call, yeah, you say that though, that's called something when you put the, that, that stuff in front. So you don't I get. I would never use a negotiation <laughs> tactic by being interviewed mm -hmm. about negotiation tactics. Of course not. Why would you? How? How? <laughs> why, why would I do that? I know. Well, well, why? To why? With you. <laughs> exactly. To be honest with you. Exactly. Um, so you do a lot of what so you do one-on-one -on -one coaching. You do a lot of um, speaking engage. So you can do speaking to employees as well. You said too, yeah. you, you can train people through a negotiation. Um, so you're pretty busy. And what's your, what's your website? So people know if they don't remember the text messaging or. They Black Swan, BlackSwanLTD.com. B-L-A-C-K-S-W-A-N-L-T-D like limited.com. Okay, you say you're so expensive. How expensive are you? Do you not want to tell me right now? They should contact you. No, it's not. I mean, but you know, don't reach out for us frivolously. Right. But, that's that's right. That's why you should give them a range. Can you give a range? Uh, more than any lawyer would ever charge you per hour. Oh, so you do hourly? Do you do? You don't do day yeah, rate? We'll, we'll, we'll line you up. Well, if if it's coaching, we'll line. We'll 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 do an assessment of what you got going. Um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to give you an idea. Chances are you're going to be on a phone with one of us for an hour. Um, because you know, never, you know, I, I don't, the only people we got on for more than three, they've got so much at stake. They're not willing to lose the money. It would cost them to fall out of practice. Loss aversion. I love it. Well, yeah. And my son's got a guy. He's been coaching this guy for two years. The guy comes to all of our seminars. Guy's got millions on the line, and his ego is not on the line. And for him, it's just stupid right. to make a mistake. Wow. So do you, is there any other kind of social media? I know you have a master class that's popular. Um, master class is also one of the great bargains on the planet, too. So it's one of the reasons I highly recommend it. I mean, because... You know, the cost of a subscription, which is barely more than, I think my class is $90. Yeah. And 
subscription for the year for everything is like 120. Like, why would you not buy the subscription? It's insane. No, it's exactly. I mean, I think so too. Do you do you make a split on that? Are you doing well with that masterclass? The masterclass has been very good to, for us, but even even you know it was good in, in dollar terms. It's been much. It's been a much greater boon in visibility. Yes, the, the intangibles on that have been through the roof. Insane. Well, they spend a lot of money on digital. I mean, I see it all the time. I'm in a conversation the other day. Because we're working on a deal possibly with doing a show for NBC Universal, which I don't think is going to happen because TV shows almost never happen anyway. I know. Well, one of the lawyers involved, she said, get this. I put your name and number in my phone. Your masterclass ads are now showing up on my Instagram. <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> it's yeah. So I mean, the, the, the digital data out there, the way it's being exchanged is, 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 is crazy. No, it's amazing. It's, I, I mean, that's actually, I'm not surprised because your name comes up on my computer constantly now. Every time, when I once never split the difference, I see your face with the masterclass constantly. It's just like, <laughs> no, and listen, it's working, right? It's, you, it's, it's doing its job. And I mean, like I said, you have great information. So I'm hoping that it's doing well. They, they should be, you know, buying the, the, the subscription or whatever it is. And they should also contact you if they're, a company or someone who's looking for a coach. Now you said you do the coaching and you said you've been mentioning your son a lot. Like if I was on, if I was the negotiator and you were the terrorist, I would see there's like a very, there's a very soft, soft, soft spot for your kid. Cause you mentioned him. I see in all the other interviews that you do too. He right. comes up at least once or twice. You mention him. So yeah, well, he's a star. I mean, you, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go as a team. Yeah. We got a team, and my son is probably more instrumental, really, in pulling the team together than I am. Because, well, I, you know, who pulls us together? Who holds us together? My son holds us together. I mean, I, I got a team of negotiators, and you know, and and the team actually in in today's economic downturn, because there's so much of a need for what we teach and coach, we actually hired two people recently. Because the demand is through the roof. People are not willing to make mistakes now. I mean, the mistakes yeah. now are just too costly. There's too much at stake. If you negotiate now on your own, when relatively speaking, you know, the cost of the mistakes are higher than the cost of the training. Could people- class, $120? You got to be kidding me. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I, I agree. Could people hire you uh, just to negotiate a contract like an attorney? No, we will. We only coach people. We do no, not negotiate on anybody's behalf. Oh, you okay? So okay, so you don't do it. On, okay, that's that's a good clarification because I was thinking, if you're so good, why am I why am I paying this uh, expensive attorney for God knows how much money when I can be using you and maybe never having to compromise and getting exactly what I want? Well, the attorney wants to be dependent. The attorney wants you writing him off. The attorney wants you writing him off your taxes from now to the day you die. I know. I, we don't want that. We want to train you up and send you on your way. Like why t you basically like teach the person to fish so they can fish for themselves. Exactly. That's like right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I feel so bonded to you right now. Oh, I love you. And I, and I, you, and I, you, uh, thank you. You're awesome. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. Uh, can you come back when you do your, uh, your, when you release and launch your next book? I'd love to. And I, are you planning on coming back to, are you, are you coming to LA or Los anytime soon or is it going to have to? You know, I, 
if if the world were like it was, LA would be my preference. Now we gotta we gotta look to see what's gonna happen post pandemic because yeah, right now people are not right now people are living in LA are paying LA taxes and not getting to enjoy LA. The people are bailing right and left, and I I don't know what kind of impact that's gonna have on. Soon as soon as uh, pandemic is over, I think that short term impact on LA is going to be harsh. Absolutely. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna try to call the recovery. I'll, pro- I'll probably hold off, but I love LA. I would love, I would love to move back. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. A lot of, a lot of my friends, a handful of my friends, have left in the last little while, in the last month and a half, because of, of exactly that. It's, it's, there's no reason to be living here right now. Everything's shut down. You're paying through the nose. What's the point? So they've all, they're all moving to Austin, you know, Florida. I mean, literally everywhere but here. Yeah, so, exactly right. No, I agree. I agree. Well, thank you. So then, what's your? Do you have any social media things that they can follow you on too? Don't you have an uh, Instagram or uh, the FBI negotiator on Instagram? There you go. Are you active? Yeah. I follow uh, I'm, you. I'm the one that I'm that I'm the most active on. Yeah, I, I like Instagram. It's kind of fun. Okay, good. Because I, I know I follow you. You don't follow me, but that's okay. Maybe now you will. We'll fix it. <laughs> good. There you go. All right. I think we're I think we're good. Thank you so much. Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference. Great book. Uh, even better guy. And uh, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. You were delightful. Habits and hustle. Time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind. Don't stop. Keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out. Hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries. Tune in. You can get to know them. Be inspired. This is your moment. Excuses. We ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle podcast powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.